This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of ZCNYC. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org ccnyc. Thanks for listening. From the Denko Roku Transmission of the Light, case number 25, Shinha. So Shinha asked Master Haklena, I want to seek enlightenment. How should, I, how should I apply my mind? Haklina said, if you seek enlightenment, there is no way to apply your mind to it. If there is no way to apply the mind, who does the work of the Buddha? Haklina said, if you apply anything, this is not virtue. If you don't try anything, this is the work of the Buddhas. He went on to say, sutras teach... The virtue I practice are not mine alone. Hearing this, Sinla gained access to the wisdom of the Buddha, meaning he became enlightened. So this is from the Transmission of the Light, uh, one of the teachers in our lineage. Transmission of the Light is um, a koans that present the awakening of the lineage from the time of the Buddha through uh, Dogen. Uh, they were compiled by Kazan, who, who came two generations after Dogen. So each koan is the awakening moment, if you will, uh, of the successive successor. Um, and <clears throat> these are very subtle koans. Um, they're different in some ways than the other koans. Um, they're not all apparent. Sometimes you don't even know what the question being asked in the koan is. Uh, that, they can be that subtle. Uh, and usually they're worked on when the, when the practitioner, when the student is very well developed and can relate to enlightenment stories uh, through their own direct experiences of their own practice. Um, so these koans have a lot of room. Um, and as I said, often what the question is being presented by the koan is not clear or apparent. And that's an important part of the koan, is to see what actually is being asked, what's being investigated. Um, and interestingly enough, I forget, there's 50-something of these, uh, each one is different. And that's crucial. Um, each ancestor had their awakening um, in the way that's unique to them. Uh, and uh, that's true of every awakening. Each of us awakens in the way that is unique to us with our own karma and uh, our own practice. Uh, and yet these provide an inspiration because they're so different. Uh, and uh, so there's no cookie cutter here. There's no one way. Um, and that's the power of each of these koans, and it's your power. And so the invitation here is to see through the eyes of the awakened disciple uh, so you yourself can relate to that awakening moment. And um, this is challenging. <laughs> uh, so 
you know, we, we practice Zen, and it's an ancestral lineage. The transmission of the mind of awakening has been transmitted from teacher to student, from teacher to student, from teacher to, to disciple, uh, since the time of the Buddha. Uh, and we can debate the historical record of this unbroken lineage uh, of mind. It's a lineage of mind-to-mind transmission. And scholars do. But the authentic- authenticity of this transmission uh, always lies within the teacher's transmission, which is a confirmation of their of of the awakening of the disciple, uh, and yet is different in how that happened from the, between the disciple and the teacher. And the point of Zen practice is not to become a teacher; um, uh, it's to go deeply into the Dharma, into the reality of your life, realizing this reality as your life, that there's nothing between you and your life, Um, and to do it during your life. So Zen practice invites us to wake up in this lifetime. Um, So Sinha is the 23rd successor to Shakyamuni. Uh, He was born in India and practiced in India and died in India, or the Indian India area. Upon his transmission from Haklina, uh, Haklina prophesied that 50 years after Haklina's death, after his teacher's death, there would be trouble in, the, in northern India, and it would affect Shinha, which it certainly did. Even so, you should transmit the Dharma for the benefit of beings. And this is crucial. Our practice influences so many more people than we have any sense of, we can have any sense of. And as we go through life, you know, few people will come up to us and say, teach me Zen, teach me about Zen. What is your experience of Zen? A few will uh, when they hear people you know closely or sometimes people, you know, I've met people at so-called parties. I'm not exactly a party goer, but so, so-called, let's say, casual get-togethers in somebody's home or something. And um, one way or another, they might find out who I am or what I do, quote-unquote. And often there's a level of interest, and I'm attuned to that. And what I'm attuned to is what that level is. Uh, And, of course, it's best not to give people too much. It's best to meet them where they are. Uh, It's best not to solicit them. But you affect people in that way. Uh, And, you know, again, often people are curious about me or my story. I have no interest in my story other than as a way to help you. Um, but inherently, I have no interest in my story. And, but that is a way of access for them. That's a way for people to relate to you. Um, and so when I give a talk at a, a school or some place that's not, quote, Buddhist, the most common question is, um, you know, how did you become interested in Buddhism or something related to that? So you will encounter the same thing in your world. But aside from that overt interest, how you are and how you are particularly in situations that can be challenging and react will teach people and does teach people. And um, it becomes very powerful. And um, you're creating karmic ripples uh, that from a precept perspective is doing good for others. 
Uh, and so that be aware of that, that your practice matters. Everybody's practice in this room matters big time. And it's, you know, you look at Zen Mountain Monastery or this temple, and how did it get here? As I said, it's, it's not a pop-up temple. It's not a pop-up monastery. Um, everybody's efforts over the years, uh, countless beings and before, long before, um, led to our ability to sit in your seat. This is the ancestors. This is our ancestors. And, you know, the karma of that moves forward and back. So the future karma of all the people who will sit in this, on your seat, or some equivalent to that, is here now. And the past karma is here now. And um, I can't explain that. I just know that that's true. And so, again, it matters what you're doing. You're opening the gates of the Dharma path for beings that you will never, ever, ever know. And yet, will that will affect their suffering in a positive way. Um, so, um, you should transmit the Dharma for the benefit of beings. We all should transmit our practice, our Dharma, for the benefit of all beings. Uh, so, Sinha traveled to Kashmir, where he encountered uh, Vasashita, who's, who was to become his spiritual heir and is in the, the lineage, and we chant these names. Um, so, there's a long recorded story about the king of Kashmir, who was swindled by two fake Buddhist monks. I always wonder when, you know, these stories pass down, were they fake? <laughs> you know, uh, he was swindled, apparently, as the story goes. We know a lot of these uh, orally transmitted stories sometimes are very accurate and have a basis. But, you know, the, the, um, the dogma of Buddhism is going to change it to fake Buddhist monks. I'm surprised they didn't change it to fake Buddhist nuns. Uh, and in his rage towards Buddhism, went to, Sen, went to Senha and asked him, uh, have you attained emptiness of body and mind? And uh, Senha said, yes. Are you detached from birth and death? Yes. Well, if so, give me your head. And Senha replied, this body is not my possession, my own possession. Why should I begrudge you the head? So the head, so the king cut off his head, and that was the end of Master Senna. Uh, but we still have this koan of his transmission, and that's what he's transmitting to us today. Um, and by the way, supposedly the king died seven days later uh, as a result of the karma that, that we don't know. Uh, but uh, it's good enough for my talk, so <laughs> there it is. So um, you can see in this story, as it's recorded and related by Master Kazan, the, the koan, the virtue I practice is not mine. The virtue you are practicing is not yours. I mean, there's that, what I spoke of, of how your sitting unknowingly is transmitting to the past and to the future. And it is. It is. It affects. And I don't even want to say more than that. It has great effects. Um, and, um, you know, it's wonderful to sit here in Ango and to sit here with a, a lot of people in the Zendo practicing, seriously practicing, and seriously investigating their life. Uh, and that's what it's about. That's the karma that you're transmitting, that investigation. Not just the Zazen, but that 
clear investigation. The questions you ask, um, the intent of it, the energy of it, the heart of it, uh, the willingness to be humbled by our suffering, uh, by our arrogance, um, the, the willingness to not know, uh, even though in the midst of not knowing we're known as fiercely as we can, right? That's our self, but the willingness to see that. Um, so the virtue I practice is not mine. Kazan's uh, closing poem on this koan is a summary of the koan. If you want to reveal the sky, do not cover it up. Thoroughly empty, pure and peaceful, it is originally clear. So we can start here. It is here where the Buddha started his teaching. It is where we start and are never done starting. Thoroughly empty, pure and peaceful, it is originally clear. This is not a mind state that's being referred to here. You know, all of us know our mind states are whatever our mind states are, right? That's what we encounter in Zazen, you know, a whole cacophony of our mind states. Um, But our essential being, our essential nature, which we can experience, is thoroughly empty, pure, and peaceful. It is originally clear. This is our birthright. This is ours. It's every being has this as their birthright. Even the orange man in Washington has this as his birthright. So what does this mean? This is our mind. When you investigate deeply, look deeply, look carefully, look ceaselessly. How long? There is no time. By the way, physicists are now beginning to agree there's no such thing as time. It's subjective, it's relative. Uh, You can't find time. Uh, But that aside, um, this is our mind. Thoroughly empty, pure, and peaceful. It is originally clear. Another teacher teaches, there is no such thing as mind. It's just clarity. It's just that clarity. Of course, when we look in our mind, this is not what we encounter, is it? First, we start sitting, and when we start sitting, what do we see? Um, We encounter confusion, an ever-moving, relentless mind. I I call it our craziness, you know, traditionally a monkey mind in Zen. Um, The entirety of our life, our karma, our history, jumbles up like the turning of a clothes dryer, around and around, except that's a clothes dryer you put your shoes in, so, you know, it goes boom, 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 you know. So it's not a smooth turning, you know. Is it? That's our mind, you know. Isn't that wonderful that we get a chance to see that? Most people go through their whole life and rarely, if ever, get a chance to see their own mind, except maybe from a brief psychological perspective, which we have to constantly, in Zen practice, work with, that this is not, we're not talking psychology here, we're not disregarding it, but we're not talking psychology. We're not, and because we're not talking about having a nice, more effective, uh, happier self. We're, we're, we're looking into that self deeply and profoundly. I'm not dismissing psychology. Uh, 
But there's a reason that probably the single most common profession in Zen practice is psychologists (laughs) in associated uh, professions. Depends what you want. So we're carrying all the voices that have been impressed on us, that have come into us when we when we sit. Uh, I mean, we're, we're kind of branded in a way. I mean, branded like a cow is branded, you know, stamped. Um, we're stamped by our karma of our life, our decisions, our own decisions, our parental influences, um, the voices of our society, the voices we've chosen to give attention to. You know, the, another way of saying that is the stories we've grown to buy and believe and tell about ourselves. And it's not that those stories don't have some, some provisional truth. Uh, you know, in every story and every lie, there's always a grain of truth, and sometimes more than that. Um, but they're limited. They're, they're stories. We're, we're, we've made them up along the way based on, you know, this film is based on true events, you know. <laughs> But we don't know what that truth is. We don't know what that truth is. And the more we go along in life, the more those actual, the actual truth of those events get lost in the cloudiness of our mind and the stories we tell because we're changing. And so the, the, the lens is turning and the focus of how we understand these stories is turning. You know, I think back how I understand my relationship with my stepmother from when I was 8 or 10 or 20 or 30, and now at this age. And it's, it's a totally different story. Still a story, but it's a different story. I can't even remember. Although I remember as a child saying to myself, don't forget what this feels like, you know, when she da-da-da-da-da-da. Don't forget what this feels like when you grow up. You know, so there is that energy as well. Um, but in the midst of all these stories, as we go through our day, you know, where is that thoroughly clear mind? So Sinla asks for help. I want to seek enlightenment. How should I apply my mind? So here we are with our confused mind. We want to wake up, or whatever waking up represents to you. How, what should we do? If you cannot find the truth... Right where, you, right where you are. If it's not right here, where's it going to be? Going to be in the uh, bodega down the street? You know, where's it going to be? On the D train? Um, it's always going to be where you are. It can't possibly be any place else. If your mind is inherently clear. So what do we do when we encounter our lifetime of confusion encapsulated into these moments of confusion that we encounter when we sit? What do you do with that? Angel Kyoto Williams, a contemporary teacher uh, who's been here, uh, speaks of of this in this way. Rather than seeing the moments of anxiety, fear, protection, discomfort that is before us as something large and oppositional. Large and oppositional. If we can stop and ask, 
What are we embodying? What is this teaching? All the time being uncomfortable. So what is before us? The discomfort, the pain, physical, but that's nothing compared to the mental. The confusion, the anxiety, the fear. And I'm using these words, but they don't capture what we actually feel in those moments of either numbness or rejection or construction, uh, the branding that I spoke about, like a cow. I'm saying that purposely. Um, If we can stop seeing them as something large and oppositional and actually see them as the place to enter, it's the door to our open awareness. It's the practice. It leads us in that moment of confusion and pain to ask ourselves, what are we embodying? What are we actually embodying? Can you feel the power of that question? To actually ask it rather than, you know, kind of go through the, you know, the, the rote of asking a question because I was just, I'm using that as a practice. That's not what I'm talking about. To actually, in the moments when we seem least capable of asking that question, to ask ourselves, what are we embodying? Which requires that we stop. That we stop and see. That we open up instead of close down. And that's, that's not easy. Because all of our life we've practiced closing down in the midst of whatever that we fear and afraid of. And it's deeply ingrained in us. And so it takes practice. It takes zazen as a platform to be able to practice. And of course, we're not practicing for some future moment, but we're practicing this moment of opening up, of being with all of our pains and confusion. And that's the entrance to the depths of open awareness. What are we embodying? You can frame that many ways. What am I making up with my mind? What's happening? What am I doing? Where am I going? And of course, when we ask a question, we'll answer it, right? We'll, we'll now provide an explanation and an analysis. And, uh, or how my body feels. What am I embodying? Oh, my body feels. Da, 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 da. Don't answer it. As soon as you answer it, you cut it off. You define it. You limit it. If you're clear from the beginning, what does that mean? It means there's no boundary to you. There's actually no boundary to you. Now, you know, these words in a way don't make sense, but when you experience this out of your own samadhi, of your practice, it makes complete sense. You realize for yourself that what creates the boundary is your thought about something. No thought, no boundary. It's that simple. A clear sky. It's not a big deal to be selfless. It's not a big deal. Uh, Galen Godwin Roshi spoke of that Thursday night. Uh, She spoke beautifully of that. Uh, It's not a big deal, but it is a backward step. It's, It's not creating. It's not stepping forth into your story and with analysis. But my pain, my pain, my pain, my precious pain, or whatever that is that you're, you know, my precious from the movie you all know, you know, that we're, 
chasing uh, through hill and dale and are, you know, totally attached to. That's our self. You're precious as yourself. Your sense of a separate self, which has never existed from the very beginning, and yet has we've been branded with it. I want my brand to say dark chocolate. So Dogen Zenji said, no matter how bad a state of mind you may get into, if you keep strong and aware, eventually the floating clouds must vanish and the withering wind must cease. So that takes you back here, doesn't it? No matter how screwed up we are creating with our mind. If you're willing to practice, and so what does that mean? You start where you are. So there's no measurement there. There's no, oh, I'm totally screwed up, I can't. Or I'm so deep in samadhi, I, I'm there. There's no there there. <laughs> you know, Emptiness is not a thing of emptiness. There's, no, there's nothing to emptiness. No thingness to emptiness. No thingness to samadhi. No boundary to it. So it's not graspable by thought, right? We can't think our way into samadhi. But you will have your moments as you sit, inevitably, where everything stops, where you stop. Sometimes they're micro-moments, and so you don't even know that's happened, but you're different in some way. You're peaceful in some way. There's an equanimity in some way that you may only feel when you walk out the door, because to know it, there has to be someone to know, right? So you don't get to know it, and yet you do feel something. And so forgetting oneself is opening up. That's all it is. It's just, where did the boundary go? It's not something mysterious, although it's completely mysterious, but it's not something mysterious in the sense of far away or, or not accessible to within this body and mind. It's always been accessible. In fact, you know, in the course of a lifetime, we usually have spontaneous moments of openness, of awareness, I mean, of true creativity that's not limited to the art world. And so, you know, the, the, the challenge is to recognize it's uncomfortable to face ourselves, our constructions of ourself. We're familiar with them. We know them. And so we, we, we relate to ourself. It's comforting. Uh, hit me again, it's comforting, you know? Um, and the edifice of our being is constructed solely to place a fence between ourself and the world. That's what our self does. It, it builds fences. You know, good fences make good neighbors, right? We'll be safe from each other. You probably know that's not an original saying to me. Um, so we begin our journey in sitting in Zazen. And it helps if we apply our natural, natural intelligence to Zazen. It actually helps. You know, you may think you should never think in practice or zazen. That's not true. You know, prajna manifests 
one way prajna can manifest is in thought, but it's non-dual thought. It's, it's holy in both senses of the word, with an H and a W. And yes, you can change your position as this talk goes on endlessly. Not yet, but soon. Um, so there's a natural intelligence to our practice of zazen, and that helps us trust it. It helps us understand how to work with ourself, that intelligence. And that natural intelligence is both very trustworthy, but you have to be aware that it tends to get analytical or hide, or um, it, it goes where our, where our brand takes us, you know. So Dogen said, if you want to travel the way of the Buddhas and Zen masters, then expect nothing, seek nothing, and grasp nothing. That's the backward step. Don't do. Which means not to fall into stop doing. So there's doing on one side, the stop doing on the other side. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about seek nothing and grasp nothing. So it's not a fixed position. There are times in our life we should grasp. There are times in our life, relatively speaking, we should seek nothing. But in Zazen, grasp nothing. Allow it to flow into you and through you. Allow it. Give permission to yourself. For the, maybe the first time in your life, give total permission to whatever your mind does, whatever your body does, to be within that. So this is inviting us to grasp nothing, to travel this path of awakening, to allow the awakening. And yet sometimes it can be difficult to appreciate just how challenging it is to just attend to one thing, your breath. You know, the first time you come here, you get the instruction. Follow your breath. Oh, okay. You know, and count your breath. And yet, when you actually go along with that, we will do anything within the context of Zazen not to actually do that. You know, a mind will endlessly create. These are the walls that are making good neighbors. So to just cultivate your breath, to just cultivate mu, without any baggage, without any analysis, without any should or would or if, it's just mu. There's nothing else to say. It's just your breath. There's nothing else to say. It's just the koan. It's just the open awareness. There's nothing to add to that. But we're going to say, but, yes, but, and then you'll fill in the blanks with your butts, so to speak. Forgive me, but it's a good analogy. So we're staked on it. And therefore, Haklina says, if you seek enlightenment, there is no way to apply your mind to it. You can't apply something to your breath. You can't apply something to move. You can't apply something to open awareness. 
whatever you apply is, is not it. It's extra. So just enter. It's simple. It's really simple. And so in not doing that, we'll never go deeply into ourselves. Wherever we lodge. So for some of us, we lodge in our bodily sensations. My pain comes up and, you know, da-da-da-da, and I have to analyze how my pain is. Uh, or my psychological pain comes up, and I have to work with that and make it into something. And uh, Well, I, it is something. It comes prepackaged, you know. And, you know, so... Uh, and then we go into Dyson and and we give a weather report. My body's doing this, my mind's doing that. Well, that's necessary. It's helpful. But understand that there's still a distance there. We're still habitually creating a distance. It's not bad. It's not good. It just is what we're doing. Do we know we're doing that? And you can't make it go away. That's more creation, right? And you can't suppress it. That's more suppression. So you study it. You enter it. You look at it. You, you turn your awareness to it. You trust the simplicity of your breath, of the practice of mu, of the practice of open awareness. There's nothing beneath those things. Nothing is beneath those things. That is the open awareness. We think awakening is something far, far from us. It is never far from us. It can't be far from us. It is our mind. You come fully equipped with it. Where else would it be? So, Master Dogen said, there's a simple way to become a Buddha. When you refrain from unwholesome activities, don't create evil, are not attached to birth and death, attachments, and are compassionate towards all sentient beings, respectful to all, not excluding or desiring anything, or designing thoughts or worries, you will be called a Buddha. Don't seek anything else. You know, it's kindergarten. Just don't do those things. He also said, do not view mountains from the scale of human thought. What is he saying? Don't view awakening from our relative scale of our craziness. You can't do that. I mean, you can do that, but it won't help you because it isn't in that scale. I would say, do not view yourself, yourself, you, from the scale of human thought. Stop thinking about yourself, which is not a repression of our psychological self. Um, I'm not worried about, for the most part, about a repression of our psychological self because we are so talented at analyzing that and living there. So Dogen wrote this poem, Treading along in the dreamlight illusionary realm. Ta-da. Without looking for the traces I may have left, a cuckoo song beckons me to return home. Hearing this, I tilt my head to see who has told me, who has told me to turn back. The cuckoo song beckons me to return to our true home. Who is it that has told me to turn back? <laughs> <laughs> 
But do not ask me where I'm going as I travel in this limitless world. Every step I take is my home. I quoted that this morning when we opened. Every step I take is my home. So don't demean yourself. Every step you take is your home. The Sinla says, if there's no way to apply the mind, who does the work of the Buddha? That's the question, isn't it? It's what Dogen said. A cuckoo song beckons me to return home. Hearing this, I turn to see, who is it that told me to, to return home? Who, did, who said that? Who called me? Who do you think? Who's calling you? A true mind is calling you. Your wholeness is calling you. Of course, there's no such thing as true mind, right? But there it is. There's the call. It's in our dreams. It's in our energy. It's in our life. It's in you sitting here today. Who called you here today? We didn't pick up the phone and say, you know, on Saturday, get over here. You called yourself. Do you respect that calling? Do you deeply respect yourself in that way that brings you here and invites you to hear the cuckoo's call, to hear the call of the traffic rumbling down the street, to hear the call of, I have to go to the bathroom, wholeheartedly, all of yourself. So who does the work of the Buddha? If you don't try, who does the work of the Buddha? If you apply anything, this is not virtue. If you don't try anything, this is the work of the Buddha. If you apply anything, this is not virtue. Now, how do you understand virtue? If you apply anything, it is not your true self. I keep quoting this because this saying... Uh, just resonates with me. When your mind is still, and that will happen in your zazen, when your mind is truly still, and you hear a voice echoing in the great, great cathedral of your mind, and you hear that voice that is not your true voice. It is not your true voice. The stillness is your true voice. That is your true voice. And yet, when our mind begins to still, look how quick we go to create, right? We go right to it. We create thought. We are so protective, afraid, scared. We'll die. And you will. That's the good news and the bad news. You will die to yourself and thereby become yourself. Come that stillness. So sutras, sutras teach the virtue I practice is not mine. It's not about you. There you are sitting, and everything you're bringing is about you, and you're entering into zazen, and it's not about you. So Dogen speaks of forgetting the self, but we have the ability to think that's still about ourself. 
So it all has to go. And that sounds intimidating. It all has to go. But it's so little. It's so small compared to who you are. You don't need it. It's just creating trouble for you and others. And you can take all of that you and use it now when you let it go to help others because you'll still be a person. You'll still have a personality. You'll still have karma. You'll still have all your crap. But it's weightless. It's seen through. You don't have to do anything with it. It's okay. It's always been okay. All our anxiety, all our fears, all our concentration on ourselves have always been okay. It's just how we use it. And so that's, that's the awakening. That's the transformation. We're not going to transform into a different personality or a different body. It's going to be this body, this person, this version of our craziness. It's holy, though. And that's what we see. It's whole. It has, Daito Roshi always used to say, there's no place to put this enormous holy body because there's nothing outside it. And so the, the joy of that, and there's a true joy in this, a wonderful joy, which is not what we do. It's, it's through and through. It's through and through that nothing is excluded from that. So when you see suffering in you or in others, that's part of the joy, not as a sweetness or anything, but as compassion. Because you understand it. It's, it's your suffering and also your joy. Nothing's excluded from this. So, you know, I'm running out of how to express this. But this is how it is. This is our selflessness in the presentation of a self. Thoroughly empty, pure, and peaceful. It is originally clear. So seeing this clarity, bit by bit, unmeasurable moment by unmeasurable moment, is our practice. And that's what we do here. We let go of the merit as we go forth into this world with open hands, with willing hands. And are we not willing? Sure, lots of times. And so we practice not willing. Are we fearful? Sure. Maybe most of the time in subtle and pervasive ways because we've we practiced fearfulness our whole life. So we practice that. We start wherever we are. doesn't matter where we are. We're all, in terms of ourself, we're someplace. So start there. Enter here, right where you are. Thanks so much for listening. Please join us on October 6th at the Zen Center of New York City for Our Lineage of Spiritual Friends, a day-long retreat with Mark Finn. For details or to find out more about ZCNYC programs, visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.